Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly. And today I am here with Ashley Stahl, a Gemini sun, Cancer moon, Leo rising. Ashley Stahl is a counter-terrorism professional turned career coach and best-selling author of the book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. And she's on a mission to help you step into a career that you're actually excited about and aligned with. Through her two viral TEDx speeches, her online courses, her email list of 500,000, and her show, The U-Turn Podcast, she's been able to support clients in 78 countries in discovering their best career path upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. She maintains a monthly career column in Forbes and has her had her work featured in outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, CBS, Self, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, and more. All very impressive, but we have to go to sentence number one and talk about former counterterrorism professional. Like, I'm interested in all of it. I'm interested in what you're doing now. I, I think our listeners are going to be so interested in understanding, you know, your work as a career coach, but counterterrorism professional, tell us more. Yeah, that one was kind of a doozy. I mean, it's not like we, <laughs> it wasn't like I came out of the womb thinking I was going to work in national security, but, um, you know, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. And from a really young age, I was really aware of what was happening in the world because my dad was always fighting every Sunday at the dinner table with my uncles who were on the opposite side of the political aisle. So it was just kind of natural for me when I got to college. I didn't really know what to major in. I didn't know who I was. And so I just decided, like, let me choose something that I'm interested in. And I chose the government out of not clarity, but more just like feeling like I had to choose something. And I also was really impacted by 9-11 because my family is on the East Coast, a lot of family members. And I don't know, that stuck with me. And I grew up in the era of spy movies and and counterterrorism. And the world changed after 9-11 in so many ways in in a similar fashion that the world is changing from COVID. So different, but similar in a way, just an impact. And so I ended up committing everything I could into that career path. I've always been interested in cultures. I learned foreign languages. So I started speaking Dari, which is what's spoken in Afghanistan. I'm bilingual now in French. And then I started learning Arabic as well. And I graduated from grad school and couldn't get a job to save my life. And so I applied, I applied, I applied, and then finally just took an admin assistant job at an ad agency 
And I just felt like, wow, I put so much into national security. How did, why am I here? Well, yeah. What happened? I mean, what, what happened with like all of you? So you went to grad school for this and everything. And then where were the jobs? Exactly. It was the recession in 2008. So just like every millennial, you know, I jumped off the recession cliff and couldn't get a job and ended up in this admin assistant job making minimum wage. And at nighttime, I would go to UCLA to learn Arabic. And during lunch, I would do my homework. And I was just really committed to being invested in my future self. And so during this time, I remember having this very elegant idea where I would email my university. After about six months in the job, I was totally in pain. And I emailed them and I said, do you have a list of people who have graduated from here and moved to Washington, D.C.? So I emailed the government department. They ended up emailing me 2,000 names and emails of alumni. And that was the beginning of me being a really good job seeker because I just called every single person on that list. I emailed every single person on that list. I fell on my face. I said the wrong thing. But eventually, after maybe 30 or 40 phone calls, I clicked in and I learned how to talk to people. So on my way into national security, I learned how to job hunt and I learned this skill that was so needed, especially during the recession when millennials couldn't get job offers. So I ended up getting multiple job offers from this list of 2000 people, taking a role working as a defense contractor for the Pentagon. And I was in charge of a program that was helping NATO withdraw from Afghanistan. And we were sending our civilians out there, our best and brightest, um, in hopes that they wouldn't be embroiled by the Taliban, which is something that now is happening. So it took 11 years for the result my program was intended to prevent to come to fruition, sadly. And it's been really interesting. I've been out of counterterrorism now for a decade. And to see that this program I put all my time into, um, I I don't want to call it a failure, but to see that it it blew up and the, the worst case scenario has now happened in the country is heartbreaking. So on the periphery, of being at the Pentagon, I started doing little coffee dates with friends, helping them with their resume. That turned into their bringing their friends to Starbucks, which turned into way too many people at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was the beginning of my career coaching practice on the side of counterterrorism. Wait, but this this can't be how the story ends. There's still there's still more. So then, so yeah, now you're doing you're helping other people, and you're also still at the Pentagon, you're still in counterterrorism. You're still doing that. No, no. I left after a couple of years because what what happened? So I left the Pentagon after a year and a half running the program and I was offered a position in the private sector at a political risk firm. And so instead of me tracking terrorists for the Department of Defense, I was tracking them for private companies who are doing business in high-risk regions. So Um, We had Fortune 50 clients who were sending staff all over the world. And my job was to manage a threat team, which was looking at daily intelligence to prevent people from getting hurt if they are traveling in hot zones. Um, So I did that for another year. But while I was at it, I started my career coaching practice because people would tell me all the time, like, you should you should be a career coach. And I remember thinking, you know, like, what what even is a career coach? All I had heard of was like a hockey coach. Like, what do I cheer on the sidelines of somebody's career? Like, and then I Googled it and I saw a bunch of purple websites with waterfalls and I was terrified because (laughs) that's just not who I am. And, and then I found a place with it and I started helping people. And that has turned into my podcast and my book and my practice and my courses and all of those things. So are you still doing counterterrorism? 
Not at all. No. <laughs> the more that I stepped into, ironically, the more that I stepped into my personal brand, the more I was saying goodbye to counterterrorism because they're not going to send me as an intelligence asset across the world when I was just on the cover of Wall Street Journal the week before. So there was a time when those two things were happening in tandem. Yes. Yes. It was about a year and a half period where I was working in national security and career coaching. So would you say that the nationals, like, because I was obviously doing my due diligence, so I was perusing your website and I was looking at the questions that you, you know, were proposing to anyone who's visiting your website who would be looking for a career coach. And it's like, you know, it's really about the alignment, right? Like, are you not feeling connected to where you are? You know, there's a host of different questions as to like how you could sort of gauge or determine or just information that can help sort of confirm that you're not where you need to be. Do you feel like personally mm-hmm. for you, the journey that you had gone on was where you needed to be? Like, do you, or do you think that the career coach work was the true calling and that everything else had been sort of a manifestation of what you had thought you wanted to do? One of the biggest things that I learned in my, on my way into national security was that when you follow what feels right, Um, there's a lot of purpose either right in front of you or on the periphery of that. I found career coaching on the periphery of national security. Uh, There were moments in graduate school where I'd be in a lecture hall of 300 people and it was really diverse, which was really cool. And then there was also a level of culture clashing because everybody had a different view of the world and we were in a political class. And I remember seeing the heat amongst people who are fighting and actually some anger. And I would even hear threats sometimes, people saying like, this country should be blown off the map. So there was a level of fire in a lecture hall like that. And I remember having these moments thinking to myself, like, I'm way too sensitive for this career path. I'm not meant for this. And there was still something inside of me that wanted to pursue it anyway. It's almost like my soul just wanted that experience in a way, wanted to know what it would be like. And so I gave myself permission to follow that, knowing that maybe it wasn't my forever. And I think the thing that people don't do is that they don't give themselves permission to scratch the itches that they have and follow the breadcrumbs without, and they, they don't realize that these breadcrumbs lead you back to you because you're learning something about yourself that you're following something that your, your instinct or your intuition is, is telling you. And so there's a part of me that knew in my heart, like, I don't know if counterterrorism is my forever path, but I need to follow this right now. And when career coaching came up on the periphery, it was very much like, oh, wow, I've gotten so much purpose and fulfillment on my way into this thing. And I never would have job hunt like this if I wasn't so committed to getting into it. So I think that's what happens. And I think a lot of people aren't really connected to themselves. And that's why people always say, you know, I need clarity. And my argument in my book, U-Turn, is you don't need clarity. You just need to connect to yourself. When you are connected to yourself, it's quite easy to actually notice what you're interested in and what you're good at and where you expand. The reason that we all feel unclear is because we're disconnected and it's hard to notice what feels good. We're, we're cut off from that. And so, My hope for anybody is that instead of saying they need clarity, like it's a drink at Starbucks you can order, you know, (laughs) why not just spend some time with the people and the places and the things that make you feel yourself, that make you feel alive? So, for example, you know, when I go to the beach and my feet touch the ocean, I just feel myself in so many ways. It's so grounding for me. And I have a lot of amazing girlfriends. There's a couple in particular that I'm me again when I'm with them. And 
those things are sacred to me because they bring me home. And, and that's the idea of what a U-turn is. It's a Y-O-U-turn. It's a, instead of turning around and going the opposite direction when you feel off course, it's about saying, I need to come back home to me and where am I in all of this? And so that has been my work the past 10 years as a career expert, as an author, and as a content creator. So your story is so specific and so fascinating. And I, one of the things that I really loved about the way that you were describing this is sort of that periphery experience. And mm-hmm. for me, that was, that is totally how anything in my life has manifested that I am working through and in today. You know, astrology was not what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know that one could become an astrologer as a little kid. And frankly, if I did know that one could become an astrologer, I don't think that I would have been, wouldn't have been something that I was interested in. I thought that like astrology and spirituality when I was a teenager, I mean, it was like, I was too punk for that. And then when I was in my early twenties, I wanted to be respected. You know, mm-hmm. I really wanted to be sort of seen as a really, you know, as somebody who was really either an intellectual or a professional or like somebody who had, who demanded sort of like reverence in some sort of capacity. And I didn't think at that time that an astrologer and granted, you know, we didn't have social media in the same way that we do now, which creates sort of this even playing field and elevates a lot of different fringe careers does make them more viable to have. But when I was beginning my professional journey, I thought that I wanted to work in the art world because I love art. I love making art. I love looking at art. I love being an asshole. And I like, you know, art dealing and selling and art criticism was like so up my alley. I thought, turns out it wasn't in any capacity at all. It was Mm -hmm. so not me. And it was actually so antithetical to who I was that I was even, I put myself in there because I was compensating for the things that I didn't have, for the for the fact that I didn't have money growing up. And suddenly I'm in this industry where everyone is like a fucking billionaire for no apparent reason, buying mm-hmm. and selling art. Everything's about the lifestyle. Everything's about who you know. It's like so vapid. It's so soulless. Mm-hmm. I thought that I wanted those things because I thought that lifestyle was like a perfume. And if you got close to someone who had a good fragrance on, maybe you could pick up some of the whiff of that. Mm -hmm. It was not at all an awareness of like who I was and what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So for someone who is going through something similar, either whether they're in their early 20s or in their early 30s or in their early 40s or in their early 50s or wherever the fuck they are in their life, how do you recommend that somebody drops in and starts finding self when they don't know how to do that to begin with. Well, first of all, I want to point out that there's a really big difference between being a consumer of something and being a producer of something. So if you liked consuming art or a certain type of fragrance, right? Um, that doesn't mean that you're meant to be producing art or working in the world that produces art. I love politics and uh, I know I'm fascinated by it at least. I love cupcakes, I love massages, probably would be a very sensitive crying politician on television definitely am not meant to be a baker, like not the best at that and would be a horrible masseuse. So the, the, the things I like to consume are not necessarily the things I'm supposed to produce. And I think a lot of people, um, we grew up in a time where the concept of follow your passion became viral. And my work is about saying, don't do what you love. Don't follow your passion, do what you are. 
And that comes back to a skill set. And so for anybody who's feeling lost on this, one thing that I write about in my book is that there's two core dynamics in your career. The first thing is the what, and the second piece is the how. The what has to do with your core skill set, how you're using your body, your mind, your heart, and your energy throughout the day. What are your responsibilities? How is the world asking you to show up with those responsibilities? What are your energy levels? What are your natural skills? So that's the what, and that's the most important thing because that dictates what you're doing from nine to five. You can be an engineer at Google in the same day you can be an engineer at Disney. Your interest in the entertainment industry versus tech is somewhat irrelevant to the responsibilities at hand. So responsibilities are the foreground. The second piece of the puzzle is the how. Uh, Because we know that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what we can assume to be true here is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. And so what that means is that your values matter. If, you know, and I always tell people, and I have a really long list of the values in my book, but I found that people are not great at determining their own values. So I always tell clients like sit down and have a conversation with people because one of the mistakes they make and and values could include words like family or balance or spirituality or authenticity or fun, freedom, play, all of these things, self-expression. And number one, people define values differently. You know, I had a client who he told me his value was adventure and that for him meant skydiving. And then I have another client who told me that her value was adventure. And for her, that meant trying new restaurants in Miami. So first of all, we need to be defining our values. And second of all, we need to take the time to truly say, is this word a representation of who I am at my core? Or is it an aspiration that I have in my life? Like I had a client who was an attorney and she said peace was a value. And we both ended up cracking up because I had to confess to her, like, look, you know, you are many wonderful things, but peaceful is not one of them. (laughs) And so she laughed and we just both realized like you're, what you want to be more of is useful information, but it's not core value. Core values are core facets of your being that if you remove that word, you're not you anymore. Like humor is something that I reside in a lot with friends. It's a value of mine. And if I'm not funny for a couple hours and you've been hanging out with me, it's like, people will ask me what's wrong because I'm not being me. Um, And so the thing about this with your career is that, you know, let's say you value integrity and let's say you have a job that, you know, you're using your skill set. So your responsibilities are spot on, but you have to sell something you don't believe in. And that's a violation of your values. That's going to create a visceral unhappiness in your role. So what you do and how you do it, they matter equally. And we have to start with who are we truly? What are our natural gifts? And stop asking ourselves, what are we interested in? Because yes, that's valuable knowledge, but it's not nearly as important as where are your skills. I love that so much. It's so interesting to hear your perspective on this. And obviously, um, you know, you're an expert on this. You are like totally honed in. In my book, um, which is coming out this fall, Woo. there's a chapter on, yes, it's very exciting. It's a long, it's been a, it's been a process. There's a chapter on career called Hustle with Intention. And it's really about looking at career pursuits, professional trajectory from this, you know, more spiritual vantage. And one of the exercises in it is called Words to Live By. Mm. And it's a list of, it's like 50 or 100 different words that have nothing to do with any fucking industry at all, but have, but are things like adventure 
integrity, opportunity, privilege, you know, um, access, humanitarianism, you know, things that people can just sort of circle if they're like, oh, yes, that lights something up in me, you know? Yeah. And I think that that to me in the work that I've done with clients is that people get so focused on, I want to work in fashion or mm -hmm. I want to work in like media that they end up taking a job that really has nothing to do with what they actually wanted to do in that particular industry. Someone who works in fashion, it's like, okay, well, why? Right? Like, why do you want to work in fashion? Is it because you want to make clothes? Is it because you want to be a model? Is it because you want to be a publicist? Like, do you want to do the events? And just this concept of a big industry and then taking any job that's available in it is often leads people to a lot of disappointment. Because yeah. it's not, it has nothing to do with what that person's day to day experience is going to be. Exactly. And there are, I have found after working with over 400 people one on one this past decade and thousands online in my courses that it takes, it's very rare to have a person that the mission or the concept of the brand they're working for is enough to keep them moving in a skill set that's not fun for them. So, you know, I think what you're pointing out is really important for people to listen to. And it's that, you know, every industry is like a pie. Fashion's like a pie. It has a lot of slices and not every slice of that pie is going to be for you. And the mistake that people make is they might throw away the whole pie and say, oh, fashion's not for me because I just did this communications job at a fashion PR firm and I really don't like it. When really it's what facet of fashion do you want to be in? I do think that people's interest in fashion or interior design or sports, that they matter. They just need to see it as more of a backdrop. They need to see it in, in the background of what they're doing. And that's why if anybody's ever making a career pivot, the first place to look is your skills. Because let's say you're working in tech and you in a technology company doing you know writing and you want to move into entertainment and for film. It's like, how can you just get a writing job in entertainment so that you can then pivot into something else in it um, using your current level of experience as a lily pad for you to transition and seeing these different places as backdrops is so important. Yeah. I, I, and that uh, invites, I think, a really interesting question and definitely something I remember from over the years and from various job searches that I've been on, which is like, how do you get the access to do something in the first place? Mm -hmm. It's that initial, like, how do I get my first paid writing job? How do I get mm -hmm. to have a byline at a magazine? Or how do I get a build a portfolio? Or how mm -hmm. do I start showing that I have expertise when that is what the the requirement is, but I mm -hmm. but it's an entry level position? Yeah. How, or if somebody, you know, even if we're talking about someone who's doing a career change, you know, after already having an established career, like you're mentioning mm -hmm. and pivoting. How do you reconcile getting that experience and getting that exposure when that's demanded, but it doesn't, but you don't have it inherently? Mm -hmm. But I have a lot to say about this. One piece of it is job crafting, which is a whole body of research about how to turn, you know, like a bland opportunity into a grand <laughs> opportunity. So what that could look like is asking yourself, what is my skill set that I really want to be using? And how do I have a conversation with my manager about a project that I can take initiative on that has extraordinary value for this company, but also for me personally and helps me pivot into the skill set and experience that I want to have. That way, when I look at somebody's resume, it's like a piece of real estate. And I want to see how much attention they're giving on their resume 
to different topics. So if you want to make a career pivot and you're doing, you're an admin assistant and you want to be a communications professional, you want to put more real estate on your resume focused on writing and communications. And just because you spent 80% of the time as an doing admin work doesn't mean you can't tune into that 20% of the time that you were doing work and experience that is branding you in the direction you want to go. So I would say job crafting, having conversations, taking initiative is one piece. Another thing you could do is you could take a course and brand yourself on your resume. A lot of universities have extension programs and you can still get the credibility of the brand. Like Harvard has an extension program. So it's like, can you take courses and add coursework to your resume to brand you as someone who understands that? Another piece is volunteering. You can volunteer whatever hours you want to. Maybe you can tell a nonprofit, you know, I have five hours a week to help you guys with your marketing or something like that. And that is an experience that you can validly put on your resume and position you. So that's the first piece. The second piece is that I think it kind of reminds me of a quote by um, Booker T. Washington. He said, you know, he never judges a man, or I guess I would add woman, from the heights to which he or she has risen, but rather the depths from which they have come. And so I understand that not everybody, it's, we, don't, we don't live in an era or, and we never have where it's completely an equal playing field. There's different biases and norms that create disadvantages and advantages for different genders, races, I mean, everything. And so I would say, you know, what we can all get access to, no matter who we are, where we come from, is usually a conversation. And whenever my career feels like it's plateauing or it's dull, I always ask myself, who can I have a conversation with today uh, to move my life forward? And it's not that I stay on all the time, but I put my phone away when I'm at the grocery store. And when I'm in the peanut butter aisle, it's like not unusual for me to just be open and say, hi. And somebody will say, hi, which one are you getting? Oh, I get this one. And then you just, oh, like, what brings you? It's just, well, this is when you're a real Gemini. This is when your Gemini sun really pops out. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. And that doesn't have to be who you are, but it is a skill that you can learn. And the research behind nature versus nurture is very real. So I would say, you know, if you want to expand your life, learn how to have conversations. It took me 2000 phone numbers and emails to do it. And even though I'm a Gemini that has that natural innate social skill, uh, I fell on my face and I was willing because everything you want in your life usually has a cost of admission. You know, one of the things that I have a real gripe with is this idea of purpose and loving what you do that is sold to us. It kind of implies that we shouldn't have parts of it that we don't like. So people are like, oh, something's missing or we don't love it. And the reality is, like, I love my business, but there are some things I really don't like doing. It's just the cost of admission, it's just the tax I need to pay to play this game. And so I would say to anyone, conversations, whether you enjoy having them or not, are kind of the cost of admission to having a career that you expand. It's very rare. Um, I've met a few engineers who have created companies that have really impacted our time. And they are a very rare case where they didn't need to have conversations with just about anyone. They sat behind their computer and made it happen. Um, but that's rare. And that's the exception. It's not the rule. Yeah. I I really love what you had mentioned just there, because one of the things that I also talk about in my book is that purpose is not the same as career. Mm -hmm. And I also say that a job is not the same as career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, jobs are the sort of day-to-day practical application that sometimes can be weaved into our career. And then other times are just what we need to do to make money, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I work with clients and they 
are, you know, trying to pursue a creative path and they have a nine to five job in marketing or in, you know, working at a tech startup or doing something that's very consuming. Sometimes my recommendation, and obviously this is case by case, is like, it would be better for you to have more odd jobs than it would for you to be focusing all of your energy and all of your time on this extremely identity defining job that isn't what you want to do long term. It would be better for you to cobble together odd jobs to pay your bills. And obviously this gets easier when you're younger, harder when you're older. It just gets, you know, the responsibilities sort of mount as you get older. But when you're in your early and mid 20s, that's when I think you can really withstand a lot more risk. And you can mm-hmm. withstand to live in, you know, a five bedroom in Bushwick if you need to, you know, like you can have 90 roommates if you need to, like, it's okay. Obviously, as you get older, there are more, you have to be a little bit more elegant and a little bit more thoughtful with the way that you make those choices because the stakes are a little higher. Your back is not as <laughs> able to withstand like that fucked up Ikea mattress. So like there are different considerations but often, you know, I would like the, the job as not career, as not purpose feels really important because I do agree with you. I think that when we think of our purpose and career as a sole entity, we think that we're not allowed to not like our career. Mm-hmm. And like, I also love what I do. But I, but my career is the composite of a lot of different jobs. And some of those jobs I really adore. And then some of them I really can't stand and I fucking hate them and I dread it, but I have to do it because it's part of their jobs within a larger career. But still that larger career is a facet of my purpose, but not exclusively my purpose. I love what you're sharing and what you're really pointing out is actually a huge trend right now, which is poly work. And it was pretty much started by the millennial generation because they needed to work multiple jobs to keep the lights on, given that they're the most in-debt generation. And so, you know, right now what we're seeing, especially with the rise of remote work, is a huge shift in how poly work is being used. It used to be seen as a financial means to survive. Now it's being used for self-expression. So you're seeing more millennials than ever, especially, are kind of paving the way to see your career choices and job opportunities as different jobs that help you learn different nuances of something you're into or different jobs that help you express different parts of yourself. So let's say you want to work in film, you know, maybe and you want to do poly work, you have a part-time job doing, um, you know, music editing for films and score. And then you also have a part-time job editing film scripts. It's like, it allows you to get depth in different areas. And so I have been seeing so much more of this and millennials buying open market insurance versus waiting for an employer to give them health insurance. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I, I, the argument in my book, you know, beyond don't do what you love, do what you are, is that your career is truly a vehicle for self-discovery and expression. And so many people who are unhappy are just not allowing themselves the permission to allow it to be that. And they're holding their career so heavily that they're not allowing that process that comes with trying something on and throwing it away, trying something on and throwing it away. And I mean, mistakes are really very much so the part of finding a key part of finding yourself. And um, I don't know what it is. It's just that we're all so afraid to make them that we don't allow ourselves the dignity of that real process. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And I think that, you know, there's the American dream. And, uh, you know, for us here in the United States, at least, like, you know, my parents were not included in this for better or worse. They're too eccentric, too bizarre, too artisty. But for instance, my partners, uh, his parents were very baked in that concept and their parents were baked in that concept of, you know, you have a good job and you get a good job that you can have for your whole life Mm -hmm. and it pays your insurance and you get benefits. And at the end of the day, you get a pension Mm -hmm. and that is a life that's well lived. I mean, I don't know. How often do you think that that actually turns out to be in the best interest of the individual? I mean, I think that that was a mindset that totally worked for, you know, part of Generation X and the baby boomer generation. It was very much about like the family and the home. And that's why you see movies in the 50s and 60s that kind of feel like Pleasantville. Um, But we are not the millennial generation and Gen Z, especially Um, They're waking up and they want more out of their careers. They are not willing to just be in an assembly line. And it kind of reminds me of Karl Marx when we had the rise of the Industrial Revolution. He talked about how the shift from people building an entire chair into a factory where they're just building the leg of a chair would kill their fulfillment. Um, And so I think about that a lot because I do think that we are a generation and we are at a time right now where the majority of the workforce is comprised of millennials and soon also Gen Z. And to me, that means that we want more from our work. We care about the experience we're having. We care about expressing ourselves. We care about work-life balance. And so that robotic way of being is just not going to fit anymore. And the employers that can't keep up with that are already having a really hard time with hiring And they're going to keep seeing that if they don't accommodate the needs of these generations. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the job market right now? It's really interesting. Yeah. It's a crazy job market. We've never seen so many people quitting their jobs in two decades. So it's been called by a professor, the great resignation. And what is key to know if you're listening to this podcast is that while most people are saying goodbye, uh, a lot of workers aren't realizing that the rate of joblessness, meaning the rate of time you spend without a job is longer than usual right now as expected. And so you really need to be prepared to afford a lapse in your work if you quit your job without having something to replace it. So my recommendation for anyone, even if you're starting a side business, is don't leave something unless you have something to replace it or you have a financial plan that is really in place because the rates of joblessness are going up in length. And that to me is really concerning for a lot of new graduates, especially. So the issue is that people, even as they're choosing not to work, are also not being able to find employment exactly and or they are but it's just taking a lot longer like more than six months easily and what do you think the circumstances are surrounding that well i mean i think a lot of first of all you know around 15 percent of job titles don't even exist right now like we are in a time where every five years one of our skill sets becomes obsolete we are in a time of great quickening you know there's some decades that go by to make a week happen. And then there's some weeks where decades of progress happen. And that's what this pandemic was. So um, I would say, yeah, like really understanding yourself and um, really knowing that, I mean, to me, the workforce is a place right now where it's um, valuing top performers. And it's very controversial for me to say this, but a lot of the times when companies have to lay someone off, 
they're making a judgment call based on performance. They are because they don't want to lay off their top performers that they absolutely need to survive. And it's not to say that if you've been laid off that you are less as a worker. I do not believe that. But it is to say that employers are recruiting and poaching people on LinkedIn more than I've ever heard. I had a client in the middle of COVID double his salary um, because he was poached. And it's because he was at a company that had tons of layoffs and he wasn't. And he was rising in the ranks and getting raises. So companies are noticing top talent right now. They need to innovate. They need to stay alive right now. And that is requiring them to look for and poach talent that is showing signs of um, really being able to make an impact. So the companies are double downing, so to speak, on the people who are really showing the most potential. So what happens if you're not showing that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say um, spend your time investing in your future self. It's whether you're an entrepreneur or you're in the workforce, it's never a bad idea to create a personal brand. So I would say like, start thinking about content creation, start thinking about what you want to be known for with your content and start considering putting stuff out there because that shows up not only in your bank account, but in your opportunities. Like when you can create a personal brand, what you're doing is you're adding value to an industry and you're positioning yourself as an influence and as a voice and employers are willing to pay extra for that. And they are willing to see that as someone who has something different to bring to the table, especially because you know everyone and their dog created a personal brand during COVID. Um, so this is a time to have one. And I think soon it's going to be at a point where if you don't have one, you're missing out. And a lot of people have kind of beat you to that punch. I love it. Love it. Thank you so much for this insight and for this incredible, incredible expertise that you're sharing. So I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first is, what do you believe in? Mm, I believe in synchronicity. You know, I think that um, sometimes you just hear something that you're always supposed to hear, like you're always right on time. Oh, I love that. I say this thing called tank, which means there are no coincidences. And that's very, that's the essence of tank. Exactly. Question number two is, how does magic show up in your life? People. Um, you know, I don't know why this is the case, but I have an unusual amount of friends who are doing amazing things in the world and they are just this constant well of magic. They're always contacting me for things or letting me know about opportunities or just giving me insight um, on life that I never would have caught, thought about on my own. Um, so magic has come through people the most. That's beautiful. Okay, Ashley, one of the things that I love to do is pull a tarot card for our yes. guests. So the way that my deck works best is if you have a question specifically to ask, um, it's not as good with general because then we get this very murky sort of card that I can't interpret, you can't interpret. So if you have a question, that would be the best for mm. pulling this card. Okay. Well, oh gosh, what can I say? I am, well, I, I guess maybe you can help me pick one. I have, I'm moving to New York next week. So I'm oh my curious to see what's in the cards with that. But also I ended a relationship with my partner of three years. I loved him, but chose to leave. And so- Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Second time I've done this where I've left good because I think there's great. Yeah. I think I want to ask about love, what's to come. Okay. So love, what's to come. Pile one, pile two, or pile three? Pile two. I knew you would say that because you're a Gemini. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what is to come on the topic of love? Mm -hmm. Ooh, hello. So we got the nine of pentacles. This is obviously like rich bitch energy. This is somebody who is like very 
solid, very grounded, very much in your zone. You have really everything that you need to feel fulfilled. So this is honestly about leaning into what you've already built for yourself and really um, embracing the success, the opportunities, the resources, the life that you have been able to create for you on your behalf Mm -hmm. and focusing on doing things, aligning with people, you know, finding community that supports not, you know, what you're trying to bring in, but what you already have and that being abundant and that, and you having so much gratitude for that abundance. Mm, this was the best. I feel like I got more out of this podcast than everybody else now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick. <laughs> We're always moving through it. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Where can we find you and connect with you and continue to get to know your work? Thank you for asking. Um, I'm on, I do a lot of solos lately on my podcast, the U-Turn podcast. So it's Y-O-U turn, two words. And then I have my book, the U-Turn book, uh, also two words. Um, and it's available everywhere books are sell- sold. You can't miss it. It's bright yellow sunbeam of a book. My book is bright yellow too. Yay! Yay! That's why I like you. Keep keeping <laughs> on my vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Love it. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a book that's there for anyone who's looking to figure out really more of who they are, what they truly want and how to turn that also into something fulfilling for their career. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. 